Well, if you have your Bibles, we are back into the series on the gathering of God's people. I hope you've been enjoying the series. I was just uh, selling it to somebody last night about how I've really enjoyed this series. Maybe it's because I haven't had to preach every Sunday, part of why I've enjoyed it so much. But I think it's a really, it's been fun to go through, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the Bible and looking at these moments where God's people have gathered together. And why? Looking at these big fundamental questions. Why do they gather what are the characteristics? What can we see from these gatherings? And really, as we go through it, right, we see ourselves in them, for good or for bad, or we see different characteristics of their meetings and say, should this be characteristics of us? How do they respond and worship God? How should we respond and worship God? And as we've gone through it, we've really been going through the story of Israel. Right? We've looked at the story of Israel now for quite a while, and we've gone through from Genesis really through the Pentateuch so far, these first five books of the Bible, what we've seen, God promise to his people and the people gather and respond. We've seen it in Passover. We've seen it after the Red Sea. We've seen it with the atonement in Leviticus. We've seen the people of God come together and respond. Today, we're in Kings. Today, we're in 1 Kings chapter 8. And, and let me set the scene a little bit for us. You know, we're, we're at the point now where Israel, in so many ways, is at its high point. They've really reached, it seems, the fulfillment of God's promises. I mean, God had promised them. We've been walking through the Pentateuch. God promised them, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will take you, this insignificant, small, right, group of Bedouin travelers with no home, no kingdom. I will take you, and I will plant you in a land and you will not be uprooted. I will give you a king to rule over you who will take care of you and who will love the Lord and who will love you. You will be this great and mighty nation. David comes. And we, king David, right, seems to be this promised child and he, in fact, this promised king and he, he talks to God and says to him, Lord, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. I want to fulfill all of the words that you have spoken to me. And God says to David, no. Right? But one of your children will. One of your sons will build a house for my namesake. And Solomon builds a house for God's name, builds the temple. And it is this huge, huge building project. In the ancient world, I, I get a little, sorry, you know, overly dorky with history and archaeology. Thing. This is, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable the, the wonder of Solomon's temple, completely covered in gold. Every kingdom of the world at this time came to see Solomon, to bow before Solomon, to pay him tribute, to see the wonders that he had made, to see this temple he had made. I mean, Solomon, wow, this is this king that they have been waiting for, and they have built this house to his name. And at the dedication, and that's what we're going to look at here today, 1 Kings chapter 8, the nation gathers. Everyone gathers together at this new temple. They sacrifice they bring all kinds of things and music together. The people are worshiping. We're going to pick up the narrative here in chapter 8, verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O oh Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, 
keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Verse 25. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. It's really a striking scene. I mean, all these gatherings have been really striking scenes. But here you have a nation gathering together at the dedication of this temple and Solomon offering up this prayer and this dedication. And I think there's really two big ideas that I really want to pull out from this text today and what we see from this gathering. But, but you really start to see a couple of things. The first being, like, why does Israel keep gathering? Like, what prompts them to keep gathering together as a nation? Like, why? Why do they come together like this? And then we also see some instructiveness from Solomon on, on how they gather, some instruments of, of what they do when they are together. But that question of why, I think what we see consistently all the way through the Pentateuch so far, and what we clearly see here, and you hear it in Solomon's words, is what is consistent about the gatherings of God's people is that it is, they gather in response to God and to what he has done. It's really clear. Every time that the nation has gathered, it's been in response to God, either in response to his promises, God promises, the people respond. He offers instruction right on Sinai, and they respond in obedience. He offers them atonement, a way to be with God, and the people respond to him. And here, they see God fulfilling his promises to them, and they respond. I think this is instructive for us. The people of God gather, and they worship God because of who God is and what he has done. Our gathering and our worship and our praise and our prayer and our study is in response to God. Many of us in the ministry team and members of the worship team are going through a book on worship by D.A. Carson, Worship by the Book, if you're interested. It's, it's good. <laughs> Pick it up. And he, he gives this definition of worship that I think you really do see here as well, and I think you do see consistently through Scripture, of worship being a responding to God properly. Like worship is a proper response to God, a proper response to God, who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. And you see that with Israel here. You see that in Solomon. You see that with the people of God. They are coming together because of God. They're coming together because of God's promises, because of God's faithfulness, and with this confidence of what God will do for them and continue to do to them. They respond, worship and gathering together as a response to God. Now, it may not sound too groundbreaking <laughs> or a crazy idea. It sounds pretty obvious. But what this does is it actually provides a huge shift for us. And you see this in Israel and you see this in us. 
what this does for us, if our gathering together, if the people of God's gathering is a response to God, it takes the focus away from us. You look at Solomon's words, you look at Israel's words when they gather, you look at the early church's words, you look at when we gather, if it's in response to God, it takes the attention away from me and it puts it solely on God. It gives him attention. It gives him glory. And probably most importantly, what this does for us and what it does for Israel time and time again is it puts things in their proper order. When worship is this response, when our gatherings are in response to God, I can reorder my life. We can order ourselves properly. Who is like you? Right, look at these words of Solomon again. Like, who is like you? Who am I in relation to you? There is none like you. God, the creator of this universe, what can I do but worship this God? I am the creature. He is the creator. And in fact, in this proper position of worship, right, when we acknowledge God and we come together to acknowledge him, to respond to him, our hearts start to sing because it's exactly what we were created for. Right? All of creation was intended and designed to worship. We were born worshiping, right? You know this if you have children. Your children just worship. I worship. We are made to worship. We will worship someone. We will worship something. We want to respond to someone and to something that we think, that we see as powerful and true and worthy of our praise and our worship. We want this. We yearn for it. And when we recognize who God is and you recognize what he has done for us, I recognize the truth and the beauty of his promises. When I recognize his faithfulness time and time again to his people and to me, the way that he continues to work, and my hope and my confidence that he will continue to work in those ways, what can I do but worship? It puts things in order. It also promotes in us awe and wonder but you catch that every time that the people gather together through Scripture. You see this sense of awe and wonder. We're going to see it again in the New Testament really clearly when the New Testament church starts to come together. There's always this awe. There's always this reverence, this fear of God, right? That, that biblical fear of God, but also that leads to joy and to worship and to peace. But there's a reverence to things. There's a submission. There's a wonder of being captivated by God and who he is. And this response of Israel and this response of us comes out of us in all kinds of different ways. Right? We see it time and time again with Israel. We see it with us. You know, we've looked through these passages and we've seen the people of God responding to God in all different types of forms, whether it's singing or dancing, sacrifices, reading the word aloud and responding to God's promises with obedience and then here, and this is also, this is the second thing I think is so striking about this passage. You see the people of God responding in prayer. Israel gathers together and they respond to God and they respond specifically in prayer. 
All of chapter 8 basically is a, is a prayer of Solomon. <laughs> I want to pick it up here at the very end, though, in verse 54. So again, if you have your Bibles, let's look at this section of chapter 8. So starting here in verse 54, now Solomon, now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plead to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. It's an amazing prayer of Solomon. If you've never read this chapter, you should just read the whole chapter. You could probably not listen to the rest of this. Just read the whole chapter, or <laughs> preferably after the sermon. Read, read, this ser read this prayer. It is a profound, profound prayer of Solomon where he just pleads for the people. Right? I mean, if you just think of the scene again, you have the whole nation gathered before the temple, and you have their king on his knees before the altar, arms outstretched, and pleading to God in prayer for the people. It's really striking. It's a very striking image. And it truly is amazing as the authors, as the readers of this text, you know, if you're post-exile and you're back in the land and you're trying to think through what are we looking for and waiting for this coming king and you read this narrative of this king and you're like, oh, this is what we want. This is what we need, right? I mean, the desire I don't know if it's your desire or not. It's mine, right? I would love to gather together and to be praying like this, to be outstretched arms and on our knees and with power invoking on the name of the Lord and calling on him to be faithful and trusting in his goodness and pleading with him. I mean, this is, it's, it's a powerful, powerful image of Israel responding to God, of Solomon responding to God, re responding to his character, to his promises, to his faithfulness, and that confidence and hope that he has, that God's word will not come back void, that his promises will be fulfilled. It's a powerful prayer that Solomon gives. Israel at its high point, in a lot of ways, at least outwardly. And this is our desire. Right? I think it, you can't help but read this as a people of God who gather together, as a leader who oftentimes is in front praying, right, that you can't help but desire this, to say, I want this to be true of our gatherings. I want this to be true of my prayers. I want this. I want us to gather and I want us to plead with God. I want us to respond to his goodness. I want to be humble. I want to be filled with awe right, at God and recognize who he is. I want 
this position. I want to worship him properly. I don't want to worship him improperly anymore. I don't want to have a disorderliness to my perspectives and to my hearts. I want this fear and hope right, when we gather together. But how unlike our experiences right, is this picture? I mean, sometimes, sometimes we experience this. But most of the time, this is not the experience of the people of God, then or now. And this is not a normal occurrence for Israel either, where they come together and pray and humble themselves before God. We're going to see that they won't do this continually, and that's going to be a problem for them. Most of the time, if I'm honest with myself, most of the time my worship, my coming together, my gathering, my prayer life is a response not to God, but a response to myself. I'm responding to me. I'm responding to how I'm feeling, what I want, what's going on in my life, the the person, right, who's driving me to worship is ultimately me and how I feel and what I want and if I'm going to do this. Or we gather together or I gather together to get something or to give something. We couch this in all kinds of Christian language of being fed or giving a gift or I come here to give you something. I come to get something. Almost like church or gatherings or kind of an economic exchange of some way. You know, I come to give and I want to get and we'll just exchange this. And ultimately it's a response still to me. And my worship is often that response to myself. We pray, right? My prayer life privately is often a response to myself, not a response to God's promises. And then publicly, right? When we think about our public prayer life together as a gathering as the people of God, right? I mean, ooh, often, right? I'm very guilty of this. Often I've used prayer as a means of instruction. It's a, it's a good way to do it, right? Lord, please help them to understand. <laughs> or you're, you, it's, just, it's just the sermon continued just with eyes closed now to be able to give instruction or things like that, or prayer as just filler or transition or let's, what else should we do? We should probably pray before we do something like this. Let's just pray. And you see, you just, you just pray. I feel you going through the motions of prayer. Rarely does it feel, right, like this looks like, at least. Reverence and fear and a proper order to things where there is a submission and a holiness and a reverence to God for who he is and for what he has done, a response to him. Now, it wasn't for Israel too. Israel has got these public gatherings down, (laughs) at least biblically, but there's some serious issues that are going to go on with Israel because the gathering is not the problem. And that's not Israel's problem, that they don't gather properly. Their their problem is far more inward and it's it's in the heart. And, And really, when we start to try to unwrap that, what's the problem? What's the problem for Israel? What's the problem for us? Our worship is improperly ordered. We can see that and we can feel that. We know that when that happens, right? when, our heart, when the way that we gather is not proper. But the fundamental problem is that our hearts are improperly ordered. This is going to be really the case for Israel and it's certainly the case for us. Because we have, I would argue we have two real fundamental problems. I have two fundamental problems when we gather together. Right? When the people of God come together, we have some problems that face us. Selfishness and forgetfulness. Right? 
We're a selfish people. Israel's a selfish people. I'm a selfish person. You are a selfish person. Our selfishness gets in the way of properly worshiping God. I love myself, and I worship myself. And that's always getting in the way of my worship of God. We respond to who we love. Right? I mean, whoever I love the most is what's going to drive me. It's what I'm going to respond to. It's what's going to bring me to my knees. Who I love, what I love. Why do I respond to myself so much? Why am I so concerned about my needs and my desires? Because I love myself so much. It's hard. It's hard. I'm selfish in that way. Or I, I either love myself or I love others so much, but really I just love them because it gives me something. And so I, I'm responding all the time to myself or to others or my fear of others or my concern of others. Or right, I can't worship right now or fully. I can't worship with this person. I can't worship with these people or I need this type of environment or I need this kind of group or I need this kind of music or I need this kind of prayer or it's very selfishness. We're just so selfish when we approach God that it's such an obstacle for us. When we gather together, it's very difficult to order my heart to properly worship because I'm so focused on me. And the other issue, the fundamental issue, is my forgetfulness. And you see this clearly with Israel. It's shocking. (laughs) If you've been in my house church, Will and I were just talking about this this week. He's in my house church. I I forget things. We start out well. You know, with house church or things, like, okay, we're going to do communion every week. We're going to do worship. We're going to do this. We're going to do communion. And at communion, we're going to do this little teaching. And we're going to, that lasts for a little while. And then you move away from it. You kind of forget for a while. And it's like months later, and you're like, oh, oh, you know, we haven't taken communion. Let's get back to it. Let's get back to this. Let's do this again. What happened? My will didn't, my resolve didn't go away. I didn't think it wasn't important. I just forgot. You forget. Israel continually forgets God. And in these gatherings together, right, you wonder why they always read the word so much. You wonder why they always give the story of Israel again and again and the story of God's redemption and you know, the Exodus story. Why do they keep telling that over and over? We get it. We get it. Because we don't get it and we forget it. And we need to be telling ourselves these stories and stories and stories. We don't respond to God because we don't think about God and about what he has done. If I'm not confronted with God, if I'm not reminding myself, if I'm not telling myself the stories of God and his goodness and his faithfulness, what am I going to respond to? What is the focus of your week? What is the focus of your days How often do you hear the story of God and his goodness for you, the redemption? How often are we reminded by the power of the cross and the goodness of Jesus? We're quick to remember our sin. I am. And I'm slow to remember my forgiveness and my love and the mercy that I've received. I'm quick to remember my desire and what I think I'm lacking in my life, I'm quick to remember all those things, but I'm very slow to remember who I really am and my identity in Christ. 
We need intentional retelling of who God is and what he has done. This is always right before Israel's responses to God. They retelled their stories. The king stood before the people and he read aloud the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. Can you imagine how boring that would have been? So I don't know, I have no idea how long that would even take to read the first five books of the Bible out loud. But they would read it. It was the king's responsibility. The people need to know this story. We need to hear these stories. We need to be reminded. Otherwise, right, what are we going to respond to? What story am I going to listen to? What story will I tell myself? And that story is going to drive me to worship. And then, of course, I'm going to worship myself or worship other things. So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? We have improper worship. We have improperly ordered hearts. What do we do? We could offer solutions. We could just pray more publicly. We are now going to institute a 45-minute prayer time on Sunday mornings, or we're going to just pray more in house church, or we're just going to pray more powerfully together. We're going to sing more songs. We're going to have more worship. These are usually the, response, the answers I give for myself, right, of when I forget these things in house church or something. Like, All right, we're going to do a whole month of just worship. All right, it's, it seems like it's wisdom. Or we're going to do more songs about worshiping properly. That's always a fun way to go. I don't know if anybody was a Christian in the late 90s or early 2000s. That music was great. You know, coming back to the heart of worship or all these, you know, it's like just singing about yourself, worshiping God about, not about yourself. These aren't solutions, though. We can't just sing more or pray more or focus on the gatherings. The gathering itself is not the problem. How we change the gathering, right? That, that's not it. The hope for us, the hope for Israel is the hope of Solomon's prayer. I mean, it, it comes through really clearly in Solomon. His hope is not that they have come together properly. His hope is not that everything they've done is right. His hope is that God will be true to his word and he will bring them this king that he promised to them. This king, my stand is, top has come off. Just leave it low. <laughs> but their hope is in this fulfillment of God's promises. That's the hope. It's not in that they have gathered together rightly. The hope for Solomon and the hope for us is Jesus. I mean, this is ultimately what we respond to. We respond to Christ, this promised child who truly built a house for God's name. We don't respond to Solomon. We don't respond to the temple. We're responding to Jesus the true king who not only properly worshiped God. I mean, look at Jesus' life. You want to see proper order in worship and response to God. That is him. But who made it possible for his people to truly worship and to pray. He didn't just pray on our behalf like Solomon. He allowed us to stand before the altar and outstretch our arms and pray and have access to the Father he secured for us our place in his kingdom and fulfilled all of God's promises. We ultimately respond to Jesus, which is why our gatherings, when the people of God gather, when Christians gather, there is and there should be a spirit amongst us of love and unity, of awe and reverence, 
but also of joy and victory, confidence. That should be there as well. This isn't just, we don't gather together as a bunch of guilty people hoping to assuage or placate some angry God. Right? We don't gather that way. That's not us. That's the way a lot of religions gather out of, with fear. We don't gather that way. We also don't gather as an arrogant people who feel like we only just need a little recharge to get on back to our, good li- our lives and the life that we live and I just need a little boost and then boom, I'm on my own again, I feel good. No, that's not why we gather. And we don't gather as people who have some sort of secret knowledge that we have to teach or we have to give so that our life will be fulfilled and others will be fulfilled. We gather as a people who have been brought into a family by no work of their own. We, we gather as a people who have been redeemed, who have come through the waters and through the fires, who have been delivered by God's mighty hand. No work of our own has saved us. I gather, we gather in humbleness and humility. It's not enough for us just to reorder our gatherings. And as you can tell, we're really working through this as a church, right? Trying to order our gatherings properly. Why do we gather? What are we doing together? Why do we do these things? We're constantly working through those things. But it's not just enough to reorder the gathering. We need to reorder our lives. I need to reorder my life. All of life is worship, not just when we're together. But it doesn't mean that when we're together, it doesn't matter either. (laughs) But I have to reorder all of it. I need my life to be a response to God not just my public meetings. If I'm going to have an authenticity in worship and in reverence and my heart to be reordered, I need my life to respond to Jesus and to who he is and what he has done. So I think for us, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions then you know, about our life. Is worship hard? Right? I, I, I know it is. <laughs> I, get, I get it. I'm not very musically talented. I, music is hard. Worship is hard. Like, is gathering together hard? You know, has it always been difficult for you? Is singing hard? Is praying hard? Well, ask yourself these questions. The questions are like, why? Why are you doing it? Why do you come together? Why do you come to church? Why do you come to house church? What are you trying to do? What are you responding to? Who are you worshiping in it? Do you come for yourselves? Do you come for others? Do you come because of your needs and your wants? Is it to be fed? Well, Christ is here and he wants to meet you. And I invite you to acknowledge the maker of heaven and earth. Christ wants you to be properly ordered. I invite you to meet Jesus who made it possible for you to live and to breathe, to love, to sing and to pray and to gather together. This is what it means to be a Christian. And this is what it is to be a Christian, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the king. Much better Solomon. The true king, the true lord of this universe. And that we are his. That he has reconciled all things and reconciled us to God that he has made peace between us 
and that he is making all things beautiful and that he has made us beautiful. That's what Christians believe. That's being a Christian, that I believe that about Jesus. And if I believe that about Jesus, if this is true, if Jesus is who he said he is, if Jesus did what everyone in the Bible and the church says he did, making peace, I worship, I praise him, I come before him humbly, I bring him my concerns and my prayers and my needs and all these things that are going on in my life. Those don't go away, but I now get to offer them to him because he deserves it. I come with reverence and awe and humility, but also with boldness and confidence. Let Christ reorder your heart. Let Christ start reordering your life and reordering your worship. And if you've never let Christ, right, like many of us are okay letting Christ save us from hell. But we're not quite at the point where we want to let Christ reorder anything else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good being saved, I'm good being a Christian, but that's about it. I, know, I don't know if I want the other parts of me to start getting worked on because I'm afraid of losing certain things. I invite you to let Christ reorder your life. And it starts small. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be this huge moment where everything in your life has to change, but it starts in very, very small ways. If Christ really has reconciled all things, then he's reconciled our imperfect attempts at worshiping him. He's reconciled our imperfect prayers our imperfect parenting, our imperfect everything. So you don't have to go, you don't have to be confident that you're doing it right. You don't have to be, you don't have to read a book on here's how to do it and once I figure it out, now I can do it. No, just, just let him in to the process. If you've never prayed or if prayer is really hard for you, just start. It may sound awkward and weird, just start. Little prayers, little askings, little acknowledgings. Just try. You don't have to pray for five hours a day in a closet. <laughs> Just pray. Just start. If you don't like to sing, if you don't like to worship, that's okay. Just start a little bit, a little here or there. Sing the chorus to the song. You don't have to sing the verses, but just start. There's nothing to fear. God has reconciled you. Why do you worship? He doesn't need it. <laughs> he doesn't need your praise to be perfect. He doesn't need our gatherings to be perfect. He doesn't need it to be this amazing show where we got it all down and we all sound so good and our prayers are perfect. No. But we need to acknowledge who he is. And we want to work in that humbleness and humility. And we want to take those steps. Because, because of Jesus Christ, we can now boldly and confidently approach him as our father with a hope that's built on him, not built on our worship of him. Which is a really important difference. My hope is not in my worship. My hope is in him, which leads me to worship. So as a church, right, we're called to gather and to worship God. And I encourage you to do that. But I encourage you to let Christ order your life in such a way that worship becomes an everyday occurrence 
And then when we gather together, it becomes more and more natural, more and more beautiful, more and more a natural and proper response to who God is. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, there is none like you. There is none as good as you, as loving as you, as powerful as you. Lord, we acknowledge who you are and we worship you for it. We recognize who we are in relation to you. And we come before you with fear and trembling like Israel at Sinai. Lord, if left to our own, we would stay back from you and we would not approach you out of fear. And we would just hope and wish that you loved us. So Lord, we are deeply moved, humbled to see and to understand the lengths that you went to to bring us to you. A people who are rebellious to your will, who don't even want you. That you suffered and died for us in our place so that we can be with you. Who are we that you should be so mindful of us, that you should love us in this way? Lord, we confess to you how selfish and forgetful we are as a people. Lord, we confess to you how imperfect our worship is, how imperfect our prayer is, our gatherings together. Lord, we confess we can't do anything that is sinless. Lord, we confess to you our great need for you and need for your help and your guidance and your spirit to work. And Lord, we praise you and worship you for who you are and for what you have done for us and how you have reconciled all of these things and how you have made us beautiful and how you have taken our very imperfect worship, our very imperfect prayer, and you've made it beautiful. Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us to know how great your love is. Strengthen us to see you for who you are. Lord, strengthen us to be able to remind ourselves and remind each other of who we are in you in the finished work of the cross. Lord, help us. Lord, we want a greater and greater experience of your spirit as a church when we gather together. And Lord, we know that that's exactly what you are at work doing in and amongst us. So Lord, we plead for the very thing that you are actively doing. So Lord, fill us more and more with your spirit. Lord, help us to love each other more and more. Lord, help us to properly respond to you in how we speak and how we sing and how we dance and how we read scripture and how we pray. Lord, help us.
In your name we pray. Amen.